Welcome to uh, the third topic night we've had as we've worked our way through the Pentateuch. Uh, the point of these things is to help us think a little bit harder about certain things that we are seeing in the Bible as we go. And I'm hoping that you're here tonight because of that. If not, you're in for a treat. Uh, thanks again for all those questions that I've been sent in advance. I know some people here have sent them. Uh, I'm hoping the handout will cover everything that we've been taught, uh, things you've asked uh, as we go through this evening. So if you find your question hasn't been answered or you want something clarified, hopefully we've got time at the end. If not, I'm always contactable. Send me an email, uh, grab me at the end. That would be absolutely fine. We were in Exodus 18 and 19 on Wednesday night in our growth groups. And on last Sunday, we were in 1 Timothy, where we were seeing the issue in the church was the people were trying to teach the law. So these two things dovetailed quite nicely for this evening to talk about the 10 words. Now, a little fact for you. Michelangelo, when he made this statue, was based on a faulty translation of the Bible. You see Moses has horns up there. And if you see a, a statue of Moses by Michelangelo, you see he's got horns. That's because they translated the word uh, for the glory, his glorious face, his shining face, as a horned face. It's a bit ironic, isn't it? Anyway, that's a little fact just to start us off. Uh, <laughs> there you go. But for the first few moments, before we really start, just turn to the people you're with. These will be the people you'll be with after the whole time, so pick your people wisely now, unless you're online and we've already done that for you. Um, just for a few moments, how much of Exodus chapter 20, the Ten Commandments, uh, can you remember? Now, you are able to say, I know nothing at all, or you're able to say, yes, I know lots of stuff. I'm sure we're all going to have different experiences, so let's share the wealth between us. But let's just, for a few moments, just turn to the people you're next to, just have a chat about how much of Exodus 20 can you remember off the top of your head? Off you go. Great. Hopefully you've thought of some stuff. Hopefully you've had a bit of a discussion. We might be able to share uh, some of that later. I won't get you to share it now. Well, here we are then at Exodus chapter 20. And the aim of this evening is to use everything that we've learned so far in the Pentateuch and apply it to this chapter, okay? Now, Exodus chapter 20, verse 2 says this. This is the beginning of the chapter. Maybe you had this when you were chatting earlier. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Be good to start this evening. I know we've chatted already, but good to start this evening by praying. And let's pray that we would be praising the God who rescues his people this evening, shall we? Let's pray as we begin. Heavenly Father, we thank you we can be here this evening to think hard about your word. Father, we pray that through all the discussion and thinking we do tonight, we would leave this evening still praising you, the God who rescues his people. Amen. Well, hopefully you've got a handout, because that's going to help you as you come through. If you're online, the handout was above the join button this evening, so you, hopefully you didn't miss that. If not, you can still go there. How should we read Exodus chapter 20? There are different views, aren't there, on what we do with Exodus 20. Perhaps you know of a few. I think there is a lot of confusion on this topic. Maybe you can think of different ideas that people have. I think there are, lo there are lots of uh, confusion going on with Exodus 20. A lot of confusion that, unfortunately, has stepped away from the Bible. A lot of people see this stuff and they just step away. In fact, that was the issue we saw last week in 1 Timothy chapter 1, wasn't it? Confusion, speculation. 
We're called to love the Lord our God with all of our minds. And so this evening, the plan is to think hard and try and actually see what the Bible is saying. So what I need you to have this evening is a Bible with you. I see lots of Bibles open. Be useful to have your Bible there. Because we want to see what the Bible is saying when we come to this chapter. So the question, how should we read Exodus chapter 20? Well, first of all, I want us to be thinking author's purpose. Now, when you write a letter to someone and they receive the letter, you're hoping they know what your purpose in writing it was. Imagine Izzy and I had sent a romantic love letter to each other. Izzy's shaking her head saying that's never happened. But imagine that Danny intercepted that and decided, well, this isn't a love letter between a married couple. This is a shopping list. I'm just going to apply this as a shopping list. It makes a massive difference what the purpose was. We've gone through this a lot. I don't need to keep beating this drum, do I? Exodus 20 is not a diary either. When we come to the Bible, none of it is a live-action diary. None of it is being read by the people who are in the story. We need to be thinking this is being read by the people afterwards. That helps us to think. And so Moses, that's the author of the Pentateuch, he wants us to do something with what he's written, okay? He doesn't want us to take it out of context. He wants us to keep it as part of the whole that he's given us. Now, an interesting point for you. Uh, the Bible never calls these the Ten Commandments, okay? That's just something that we've added. We've just called them the Ten Commandments. It's nice and easy to do it. I mean, I've said that once this evening already. Instead, the Bible talks about this as the Ten Words. Hence why the title on the sheet is The Topic Night for the Ten Words. That is a really important thing to get our head around because it will help us understand a bit more of what is going on here. Here's a little diagram for you. I always feel like a teacher needs a diagram on the screen. You've got a little version of it on your sheet. This is just helping us to think about author's purpose a little bit more. Keep in mind that it was not Mount Sinai. It was not at Mount Sinai where the Ten Commandments, Ten Words, correct myself, were given, that we were given the Pentateuch, that we were given what we have in our Bibles. See, the Pentateuch, the Bible was written to Israel at a later date, certainly after Israel fails at what we're told it records. That's what the two pictures are. So it's not this one, it's this one here. In fact, just at the moment that God was giving Moses the law on Mount Sinai, what was Israel doing at the bottom of the mountain? Well, they were breaking it, weren't they? Israel had just heard these ten words. God had commanded them not to bow down to idols or have any other gods. Yet just at that moment, Israel was fashioning a golden idol and was bowing down to it. Exodus 20 is written after that's already happened. Okay, It's not a surprise when we get to Exodus uh, 32 to 34. That's already happened in the history. This is written afterwards. The people who read this know that that is about to happen in the text. Okay, Does that make sense? Probably thinking I'm laboring that point. I just think it's really important for when we come to this. So first big question then, or second question on your handout there, why do we make a big deal out of Exodus chapter 20? Just think about it for a moment. Why do we not read Genesis 1 to 3 and go, I mustn't eat that tree or the fruit off that tree? Or just think again for another moment, why when we get to Genesis chapter uh, 9, do we not go, oh, I need to build an ark? God says, go build an ark. Why is it that when we come to Exodus chapter 20, that we suddenly go, oh, the story stopped, this is now law for me to follow today? The question to think about, isn't it? Why do we think that is what we ought to do with this passage? Why do, if you go to an older church, uh, do you find on the far left and the far right the ten words, commandments, put up there around the big table in the middle? Why do churches think they need to do that? What is going on? 
Why do we make a big deal out of this chapter? I think it's a question that we all ought to think about. Do we actually have a good reason for making a big deal out of this chapter? Well, let's think about Exodus 20 in context, okay? To take a text out of context leaves you with a con. To take text out of context leaves you with a con. I used to say that all the time. Certain people are smiling at me right now. We've seen, haven't we, that the Pentateuch begins a story that started in Genesis chapter 1. And it flows all the way from Genesis chapter 1 all the way to Deuteronomy 34. So we want to think, how does Exodus chapter 20 fit into the big storyline? What is it doing right here? What does Moses want us to take away as we're reading Exodus 20 as part of the big story? So first of all, then, we need to think about Genesis again. Talked a lot about Genesis, haven't we? Uh, I think I was talking to Sarah, and she was like, we spent lots of time in Genesis. This is why. This is why we spent lots of time in Genesis. See, rabbis, that's Jewish teachers, they debated why the Pentateuch doesn't start in Exodus chapter 20. If the, if the Pentateuch, if the first five books of the Bible are all about the law, if that is the whole point, well, why do we have all these pages beforehand? I mean, it would solve all the creation debates and all the rest of it, wouldn't it? Let's start at Exodus 20. God is giving us his law in his Bible. Uh, that's all this is about. But it might be, it is, that that's not the point. That's not the point of what the Pentateuch is doing. It's not there to give us law. God has already said that by starting with Genesis chapter 1. So let's go back to Genesis chapter 1 and 2, shall we? Because Genesis chapter 1 and 2 is the foundation. Everything that happens in the Bible is starting there in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. And Genesis chapter 1 and 2 is where we get our ethics from. It's where God's moral standard begins. It's where God's perfect design for the, his perfect world is found. It makes sense, doesn't it, when you think about it? Garden of Eden is where everything was right. God had everything set up the way he wanted it to be. Then Genesis 3 happens, we have the fall, and what we're after then from the rest of the Bible is a return, a return to where we were before, where humanity was before. Of course, greater, because there are more people, and there's more glory, and the whole earth is filled with the glory of the Lord, but after we return back to Genesis chapter 1 and 2. And the laws in Exodus, what we're looking at tonight, they're aiming to return us back to that moment. Don't know if you ever thought about that before? We're not meant to start thinking about what does God want in Exodus chapter 20. God's plan, God's purpose has not changed since the beginning of the Bible. So Exodus 20 is meant to be there to connect us back to the beginning. Just think again about Eden. Yes, there weren't any clothes and it'll be a bit cold today, but uh, in Eden, mankind were living together, weren't they, in perfect harmony. They were loving God and they were loving their neighbor. And why is that important? Well, this helps us to think about what the 10 words are doing here, okay? You might have heard these ideas before. Unless the Old Testament specifically abrogates, aka cancels something in the New Testament, it's still in force. Maybe you've heard someone say that before. Or maybe you've heard someone say, unless a law is specifically picked up in the New Testament, we don't have to follow it. You might have heard that as how we do the 10 commandments today, 10 words today. It's neither of those. We're going back to Genesis 1 and 2. That is where the standard is set, okay? So instead of reaching uh, back, instead we're meant to be reaching back to God's original design. That is what the laws, that's what God's intention is, to get us back to God's original design, a return to Eden of sorts. And 
I know in my growth group we saw this. I can't remember if we saw this generally. I think we might have done it in the last topic night on creation. God spoke. The, Moses is really clear. He uses the, the verb for speaking only 10 times in Genesis chapter 1. In fact, he goes out of his way to make the 11th one not like the other 10. Okay? So God speaking 10 times is a creation thing. Maybe you'll see where this might be going in a few moments' time. So hang on to that one. God speaking 10 times is a creation thing. I mean, the point on the slide might be giving that away when we get to the bottom. But when we get to Sinai, maybe we want to be thinking creation is somehow involved. Let's jump forward to Exodus, shall we? That's where we've been the last few weeks in our growth groups. The context in Exodus is going to help us as well. Now, Moses makes us a sandwich. That's nice of him, isn't it? I mean, it's nice when someone makes you a sandwich. Moses is setting up a sandwich here. You can see the, the chapters on the screen. Uh, Izzy pointed out the middle one is smaller. It's not meant to be because there's only two, verses in that, two chapters in that one. Uh, but we saw some of this, hopefully, in our studies on Wednesday because we were in Exodus 15 and we were in Exodus 18 to 19. Straight out of Exodus 15, the people start grumbling, don't they? They go from singing to whinging. For example, here is a verse from Exodus chapter 16, and we get God's reaction to the whinging. So Exodus 16, verses 3 and 4, the Israelites said to them, that is to uh, Moses and Aaron, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat, and we ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Now, this is the key verse. Fill in the gap. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down. Now, if you were to fill in the gap, you might know the story already. You know what's going to happen. But just in your Bibles, flick to Exodus chapter 9, verse 18. Exodus 9, 18. Now, we didn't get a chance to do the uh, 10 plagues. Oh, another 10, eh? Uh, the 10 plagues in uh, growth group. So Exodus 9, verse 8. Is that what I'm after? That doesn't look like it's what I'm after. I've put, given you the wrong verse. Uh, let me find that. 18, sorry. Exodus 9, 18, which it actually says on my notes here, and I'm just not reading. Exodus 9, verse 18. The word send here is the word rain down. Therefore, at this time tomorrow, I will rain down the worst hailstorm that has ever fallen on Egypt. It's exactly the same phrase being used here in Exodus 16. Then the Lord said to Moses, what do you expect to happen to Israel? They've just grumbled. They've just done everything that they shouldn't have done. God says, I will rain down. Well, we know, uh, guide me, oh, my great uh, redeemer. Bread of heaven is what actually happens. So you're expecting it to be another Exodus plague-like moment, but God in his grace rains down bread. God is gracious. And we get that again when you get to Exodus chapter 17. Israel fights the Amalekites. Amalekites are important for 2 Samuel, aren't they? Uh, he reminds Moses of God's grace in fighting the Amalekites. And he reminds Moses, God reminds Moses of his grace with Jethro in Exodus chapter 18. Do you remember Jethro was saying, you're not going to be able to do this. It's going to be too heavy for you. I'm going to help you by giving you other people. There's grace before we get to Exodus 20. And we're going to see next week, you can believe me now and you can check later, we're going to find grace and compassion in Exodus 32 to 34. So Moses has made us a grace sandwich. You've got grace on this side, you've got grace on this side, and in the middle there, you've got the law. So we have to ask ourselves, well, why is Moses doing that? 
Why has Moses made a grace sandwich? Sorry if your name's Grace. Why has Moses made a grace sandwich with the law in the middle? What is he trying to say? Well, I want to argue, and hopefully you might agree with me by the end, that it's because Moses wants God's people to have faith in God's grace, not in their ability to do this. He wants them to remember that God is gracious as we come to it. Next point, covenant. There is a picture of two stone tablets with a line between the two of them. I couldn't get rid of the line when I was trying to draw it earlier. Uh, So you've got a nice line between them. We spent a lot of time in the last topic night talking about covenants. Hopefully you can remember that. I'm not going to go there now. Uh, But the Ten Commandments, they are a covenant document. They are part of the covenant that God makes with Israel at Mount Sinai. And the Sabbath there, as we'll come to look at the text in a moment... The Sabbath there is described as the sign of the covenant. Do you remember uh, I took this off my finger and I threw it across the room? Do you remember that? I threw a penny across the room uh, to lots of shock. To break the Sabbath is to go, I don't care about this covenant. I'm going to throw it all away. In fact, the Bible's going to go forward and show us how well Israel is doing at keeping that agreement, that covenant, by saying, how well are you keeping the Sabbath? When you get to Jeremiah, he looks at the people And he's like, these people are doomed because they're not even keeping the Sabbath. So that all comes in here. This Keeping these commands, keeping this is part of the covenant. Why are there two? Well, that's the reason why there's a reverse symbol here. Sometimes you think uh, there are two tablets because they don't all fit on one. And Moses made his text a bit too big. And, oh, I've I've got to get a second one now. What am I going to do? No. The best way to understand this, okay, and the reason why it's reversed it's because it's a bit like a mortgage. Now, you tell I'm a grown-up now when I say, oh, it's a bit like a mortgage, and I agree, and everyone, everyone else is going, what? Mortgage? A mortgage agreement, there's always two copies of it, aren't there? You have one copy for yourself and one for the guy in the bank. Okay? That's the same with these. Because this is a covenant document, there are two. One copy for God, one copy for Israel. Terms of the covenant for both parties are there. And they get placed into the, the Ark. Thanks, Zoe. They get placed into the Ark of the Covenant. Ark of the Covenant. They get put in there. The Covenant documents. Make sense? Because at that Ark, we'll see this in a few weeks' time, that is where Israel meets God. So whenever Israel comes to God, when the high priest comes into the Holy of Holies with the Ark of the Covenant there, it's like God is looking down at his side of the bargain and the people are looking at their side of the bargain. They come and they see their copy of the agreement and God's copy, and that is the thing that allows them to communicate, to be uh, together there. Hopefully this is making sense. If not, feel free to uh, ask questions in a little bit. But I've done enough talking. I can see in your faces I've done enough talking. You probably have things you want to talk about, so let's make a deal, shall we? You can talk about what you want to talk about, but I'm going to officially set you some work to do in your groups. Um, Let's go into groups and just see how the Pentateuch, so the rest of what Moses has written, uses this chapter going forwards, okay? So as we go through, uh, Moses punctuates the story with short stories, short snippet stories, which are very random when you are just reading through. They don't seem to make much sense why they're there. But what we want to do now is just have a look and have a look at what's going on in those sections and then how that is relevant to the big story. And remember, we want to be asking, what does Moses intend us to think? Okay. Now, to make sure we get them all done, can I ask this side of the room to do Exodus 32? Delanio, you can figure out where you want to be on that. this, the middle, if you look at Leviticus, and this side, if you look at Numbers, that would be useful. Then we can all look at different ones. And if you finish looking at one, you can look at another one. But let's give you uh, five-ish minutes to do that. 
hopefully they are simple enough to get a rough idea of what's going on. Everyone happy? Uh, Zoom breakout rooms. If you just one takes one and one takes the other, hopefully uh, that will sort itself. Great. Let's go. Great. Everybody is coming back online. So that means your time up is here as well. Anyone got anything summarizing what, we're, uh, what you might have seen? All a bit worried. <laughs> Any summary thoughts? I know Leah said something really good a moment ago, so I'm going to pick on her. <laughs> well, I can just say what I want Leah to have said so that I can. Yeah, let's do that, shall we? Um, hopefully, as you saw that, you saw that Moses has put in these short stories. Well, Exodus 32 is a longer story, mainly because there's two of them being broken at that point. But straight after Mount Sinai, after that great moment, after God has said, These are my people. The people go and show themselves not to be God's people, don't they, by breaking them. In fact, at key points in those books, just notice Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers falling on from each other. You get command 1 and 2 broken in Exodus 32. Then you get command 3 broken in Leviticus 24. Then you get command 4 broken in Numbers 15. As you read through the Pentateuch, it seems Moses is making a point that even though you've been given this stuff, even though this is going to get us back to Eden if you keep it, you're not going to manage it. It's not doable. People fail. The whole nation fails. One guy's just picking up sticks. That's a bit harsh, isn't it? No, it's because it's the covenant. It's a big issue. In fact, when you look at uh, the Pentateuch before Mount Sinai, someone gathers stuff they shouldn't gather on the wrong day. Naughty. After that, someone gathers what they shouldn't gather. Death. There is a, an escalation because of what's just happened. So Moses wants us to be keeping all this in mind as we go through what is the big thing Moses is saying? Let's look at Exodus 24. This is another big context bit. This is uh, what comes uh, right in the middle. I've been saying this already, but let's just check that Exodus is saying what I'm saying. So after the laws are given and the people agree to them, we get Exodus chapter 24. Now we ought to see the amazingness of this. I think sometimes we can lose this because we're like, oh great, okay, whatever. The people in Exodus 24 are back with God again. Back with God, like Eden. In fact, what do we have up there? We have lapis lazuli, I can never say it. Get that in Eden. That's an Eden pointer. They're up the top of a mountain, like Eden. Fellowship with God. God walking in the garden. They're having food with him, like Eden. Moses and Nadab and Abihu and the 70 elders of Israel went up and saw the God of Israel. Under his feet was something like a pavement made of lapis lazuli, as bright blue as the sky. But God did not raise his hand against the leaders of the Israelites. They saw God and they ate and drank. Can you get more intimate than having a meal with someone? If the law works, if the people do this, we're back in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 territory again. Moses wants to make that point. We can have relationship with God again. It's like we're back in Eden. Well, We've set the context. Hopefully we've started to see a few things that might help us to figure this out. Let's get into the text, shall we? Flip your sheet over. Uh, what does Exodus chapter 20 say? I realized as I was planning this that I never actually had a section looking at Exodus chapter 20. So I've corrected myself. First of all, the introduction. 
Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 and 2. Now, when you were thinking, what stuff can you remember from Exodus chapter 20, did you remember this bit? It's like there's 10 things. One, two, three. Okay, we've got seven of them, but no. verses 1 and 2 are really important, aren't they? Think of this as preamble, the beginning of the contract, okay? I'm the Lord your God who took you out of Egypt. Well, that functions, doesn't it? That works for the people who were in Egypt, for the nation who was taken out of Egypt. Now, I myself, I'm not very traveled as a person. Uh, I have been on a cruise once, but I did not go to Egypt. I know some people here have been to Egypt before, but I've never been to Egypt, yet alone uh, put under slavery for 430 years uh, under uh, a pharaoh who seems to think he's God. Uh, I've never been rescued out of Egypt myself. So when we look at this, when we look at how this is introduced, Moses is very specific that the preamble, the introduction here, is for a nation in that part of the redemptive story and the story of the Bible. The introduction is really important because it sets the context, but we tend to forget that. We throw that bit away and we just start with verse 3. Introduction is important. But the commandments, here we go, I've abbreviated them on the screen. I tried to put all the text on the screen, and I just couldn't do it uh, without making it unreadable for you. There's a debate, actually, in how these are numbered. I don't know if you might have come across this. So we, we know there's 10, there's 10 words, right? But there's a difference between how Jewish people and Christians number them. And there's a difference between whether you're a Catholic or whether you're a Protestant in how you number them as well. There might be some small issues with that. It doesn't really matter at the end of the day. But just in case you ever speak to someone and they bring that up, it's not really that big a deal. But did you see that they are primarily prohibitory? Primarily prohibitory. Now, some people, they, they look at these and they go, okay, I can see the do not stuff, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spin these around. I'm going to turn them into do's. So rather than you shall have no other gods before me, have me as your god, they might say. But that misses the point. Misses the point of what Exodus 20 is doing. If we turn there straight away, it might be useful in some senses. But if we do that straight away, we miss the point, and it, it doesn't help us. What is the point of a prohibition? Well, we saw it in 1 Timothy 1 last week. A prohibition is there to separate people, to draw a dividing line down the middle. You are not this, you over there. You are this, you over there. Do not do. Although there's two there, aren't there? Can you see on the screen? Two that have no bold on them. Um, the number four, Sabbath. Number five, honor father and mother. I mean, you could say Sabbath talks about not doing any work, but it's not as strong as the other ones. But I think this gives us a bit of a structure, okay? Gives you a bit of a structure for how these work. If you draw a line there and there, look at that, magic. There is a way of splitting them. So either, if, if you want to say the Sabbath does say do not work, it doesn't make much of a difference. You still draw a line at number five there. Do you see that? Uh, we're going to think in a moment why that might be, but just make a note of that. There seem to be two halves to these. There are also lots of connections back to creation. I've already been making this point, Genesis 1 and 2. In fact, Genesis 1 and 2 come up as you go through. So Genesis 1 starts with talking about no other gods. Why should you have no other gods? Well, Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, God. Not gods, God. That's a Genesis C point. They get a bit stronger than that, don't worry. The second one, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or the waters below. Three categories are where you're not meant to make idols of. Three categories, where do we get them from? Genesis chapter 1. Moses is making us think, ah, oh, we're going back to Genesis 1 here. Uh, the Sabbath, 
We saw this when we looked at Genesis, uh, creation, didn't we? For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. I mean, if you want to be really getting us back to Genesis 1 and 2, you can't do much better than that, can you? And the number, I made a point of this, how many are there? Ten. Great, we can count. (laughs) That's a good thing. It's useful. The first time Moses made a big point of the number ten was Genesis chapter 1. Moses went out of his way to say that God spoke ten times. There were ten words of God in Genesis chapter 1. And each 10 that we've had since Genesis chapter 1 has either been a creation or a decreation. What other 10s have we seen so far? Well, the, the plagues of Egypt, right? What are the plagues of Egypt there to do? Decreate Egypt, bring Egypt down. Show that their God, Pharaoh, is not in charge. God, the creator, is the one in charge. When you see the number 10, it's a creation image, whether that's a positive image or a bad image. You'll see some more of those as we keep looking. And if we've been particularly tuned to that, we're going to see that God's purpose was always to create a people at Mount Sinai. He said that in Exodus chapter 15. It is an important chapter in the Bible for many reasons. One of them, because here in Exodus 15, we get this. Now, if you were to flick, actually, let's flick in our Bibles to Exodus 15, because you're going to check this, and you'll say, it doesn't say that. You've changed what the Bible says on the screen. I've changed what the NIV says on the screen. But if you look at the footnotes on Exodus chapter 15, verse 16, I think it's the letter B, if your Bible's the same as mine. Is that right? I'm looking to see if someone's going to give me a nod to say a C. Okay, it's a C in our red Bibles. And the C says, what's the word that we could use instead? Created. Great. I'm right. (laughs) D, D is created on that particular word there, until the people you created pass by. Now, if you read the notes of how the people translated the Bible there, they said, um, this is the word we use for create, but it doesn't make much sense in the context to use the word create here. It makes more sense to use the other word. Actually, if we're thinking this whole thing is a a creation of a people, then this is another uh, peg to hang our uh, hat on, you could say. So that all goes to say, even if you don't believe me on this one, all the other ones, we're meant to be thinking Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2 here. We're meant to be thinking back to creation as we read Exodus chapter 20. And I want to say those 10 words there are creating Israel as a nation. See, as Israel holds on to God's law, what is it going to do? It's going to create them into a holy people, holy nation, a kingdom of priests. As they hold on to those 10 words, it's going to form them into that. They're going to become a holy nation. The moment they stop doing those things is the moment they're not going to be able to do that anymore. Does that make sense? So the 10 words, like creation, are creating a people here in Exodus 20. There's a lot more stuff we could say about the text. Um, I'm sure you know a lot of stuff about the text. We're going to move on to some implications. We can talk some more about text later on if you like. So we've had the context. We've had the text. How does that help us with what Exodus 20 is doing in the Bible? Well, here are a few implications, just tying together a few things we hopefully have seen already. First of all, boil it all down. My dad is a chemistry teacher. Some of you know that. And what do you do in chemistry? Well, you just boil stuff down, don't you? I mean, that's that's all science is. Put some heat underneath, bunts and burners. Uh, I've got a splint. Oh, I've nearly burnt my fingers. 
That's what we do, isn't it? We want to boil stuff down. What do we do if we boil down the 10 words? Well, we saw there was good reason, didn't we, to split them in two. And we saw there's good reason to go back to Eden. So if we boil it all down, we might get something quite familiar. Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor as yourself. Do you see how those work? One to four are specifically about God. Five to ten about each other. Boil them down. Love the little animation there. Boil them down. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. In fact, I'm not wrong here because Jesus backs me up. It's always good to say Jesus backs you up, isn't it? When Jesus is talking about the law in the gospel, he says this. What are the two laws that the whole law hangs on? Love the Lord your God, love your neighbor as yourself. This is what Eden was like, wasn't it? Adam and Eve, perfect relationship with God, perfect relation with one another. And it summarizes all those points across that dividing line. So when the New Testament says that love is the goal, is what fulfills the law, well, yes, that is true. It does fulfill the law. Do you see how that works? Secondly, it means we should see the law as a unit. Now, we're going to have another evening on law because if you're doing Leviticus, you can't not have an evening on what on earth are we doing with these laws here. So we're going to have another evening to think about this. Hopefully, this will lay some foundations. Hopefully, it might raise some questions as well that we can tackle then. But it means we want to see the law as a unit, okay? Now, if you track the progression, this is the kind of thing that I do in my office at home. Uh, maybe you want to rescue me from this, but it's what happens. Exodus chapter 20, uh, we saw this. God starts with, and God spoke all these words, okay? 20 verse 1. When we get to chapter 21, Moses is then given laws. These are the laws you are to set before them. Then in Exodus 24, when Moses went and told the people all the Lord's words and laws, everything is what the uh, NIV says. I think it's fair to say all the words, literally. The Lord has said we will do. So Moses is connecting those things together. The people are taking them all as one. And then Moses, in verse 7 of chapter 24, takes the book of the covenant. So he writes this all down and he reads it to the people. And they responded with everything the Lord has said, we will obey. So you get... Exodus chapter 20, Exodus chapter 21, Moses takes all of it, combines it into one book, and then that is the thing that people are keeping, okay? So the whole thing is seen as a unit as we go through. And that means you can't break it into bits. You can't say, I'm going to take this bit out of here and this bit out of here. You take the book and the whole thing follows. Uh, someone talks about if you make fudge brownies and you put them on a plate. Have you ever been to a party where this happens? where you, you get a plate of uh, fudge, chocolate fudge brownies, and you're like, you know what, I've been good this week, I'm going to take just one, okay? Just, to, well, just one, then you go and you take it, and then there's suddenly four others come with it, don't they? And you're like, oh, great, I'm, I'm either going to look greedy, no, I'm just going to embrace this, I'm going to eat the whole thing. You can't take one thing out of God's law uh, in Exodus and not take the others with it, okay? Everything is combined together. Now, it is trendy in some circles, I don't know if we've got... Um, people who've seen this here, to split the law into three. Have you ever come across this? Uh, you could say some of it's moral, some of it is ceremonial, some of it is civil. So some of it uh, is God's eternal law, that's always what happens. Some of it is uh, ceremonial, it, it's about sacrifices. Uh, some of it is about civil, it's how Israel as a nation are meant to function. And then what you do then is you go, well, I don't like this one, so I'm going to strike that one out. That's a ceremonial one, that's not for us today. But I'm going to keep this one here. Exodus 20 is taken as the moral part of that, okay? 
And that might be helpful, actually. It might be helpful in looking backwards to say this is something that obviously only Israel could do because uh, they were a nation uh, with God as their king. But it's not how the Bible does it. The Bible never splits things that way. That's just something we've imposed later on on the Bible. In fact, Exodus doesn't give us any warrant to do that either. Moses wants to make a big point that the whole thing stands or falls together. And just remember, we've said this is a covenant. This is the covenant with Israel, or as we might know it, this is part of the old covenant. The law is a unit. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, maybe that means uh, we don't have to keep these 10 laws anymore. Maybe it's okay to go murder. If you, if you are thinking that, please talk to me at the end and we'll sort that out. No, remember, we're going back to Genesis 1-2. to What was always wrong there is reflected in Exodus, Okay? So it's not all of a sudden we've lost a whole load of things. Actually, we've always going back to Genesis 1 and 2. Uh, clear that up a little bit in a minute, hopefully. Finally, the law is given to Israel. We need to pay attention to that introduction in Exodus 20. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of Egypt, the land of slavery. Do you see, this is specifically to them. Now, it does reflect God's ideals. Yes, do not murder, do not steal, do not lie. That's back from Garden of Eden because of creation, because of who God is. But this law here is specific to Israel. Do you see that? Now, if we say otherwise, actually, we end up doing damage to the rest of the Bible. If we say this isn't true, but it does damage to the Bible in parts of the Bible we don't generally look at, okay? Uh, Let me show you what I mean in a moment. But first of all, just remember the intention of the law here, the Exodus 20. The whole point is to keep Israel separate from the nations around them. They're doing things in order to mark themselves out as not the other people. When you go into Canaan, don't act like the Canaanites. Act differently to them. This is how you're going to act differently. Just imagine if the Canaanites have that law as well. Right, I've got this law that's going to keep me separate from the other nations. Oh, look, the Canaanites are doing exactly the same thing. Uh, Which one are you? It's like going to a football match and all deciding to wear white or whatever's currently going on with the the debate about colorblindness. I don't know if you've seen that on the news. Uh, Football teams, please don't wear this color or this color because colorblind people think you're all on the same team. And that's not going to be very helpful. No, the law is given to Israel to mark them out. And secondly, the rest of the Old Testament makes a big deal, actually, out of this uniqueness. But in passages, we don't really look at. Don't worry, we're going to look at this one in growth groups. Uh, Deuteronomy 4, verses 5 to 8. Okay, I put in bold the big points. Moses is saying, See, I've taught you decrees and laws as, my, as the Lord my God commanded me, so that you may follow them in the land you are entering to take possession of it. Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations. See, Israel nations, who will hear about these decrees and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. What other nation is so great as to have their gods nearby them, the way the Lord our God is near to us whenever we pray to him? And, big point, what other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws I'm setting before you today? So the law as a big picture separates Israel. Exodus chapter 20 is part of that, but it's meant to separate. Nehemiah chapter 9. When did we last go to Nehemiah? Uh, This is, Nehemiah gives us a kind of Bible overview. If you ever want a Bible overview from the Old Testament, Nehemiah 9 is a great place to go. And Nehemiah says, You came down on Mount Sinai. You spoke to them from heaven. You gave them regulations and laws that are just and right and decrees and commands that are good. The law is good. You remember that gets quoted a lot in the uh, New Testament. You made known to them your holy Sabbath and gave them commands, decrees and laws through your servant Moses. You specifically made known to them your Sabbath. They knew it already. Why do they need to be 
have it made known. If everyone else is doing it or should be doing it, why does Israel need to have it made known to them? It's the same point again, isn't it? Well, let's go to the Psalms. I've been doing a lot of work in the Psalms. Hopefully, at some point, I'll show you why I've been working in the Psalms. But Psalm 147, verses 19 to 20, says, He has revealed his word to Jacob, his laws and decrees to Israel. He has done this for no other nation. They do not know his laws. Praise the Lord. Israel seems to think they should praise God because he has not given his law to anyone else. That's just a few of the passages we could go to. I've got a load more that we could think about. But here we go. The law reflects God's design for humanity. We've seen that. It takes us back to Genesis 1 and 2. Love for God. Love for neighbor. So if you were to say, well, we don't need Exodus 20 anymore. If you just throw it out, don't do that. We're going to say why in a minute. Don't, yeah, if you were to get rid of it and still have Genesis 1 and 2, you wouldn't lose any of God's uh, moral instructions. Okay? Uh, it's a unit. So that means you can't get rid of one bit and keep the rest. If you get rid of one bit, the whole of it goes two, okay? And it is specifically given to the people of Israel. It is not given to the nations around them. Are we happy with what I'm saying? You might not be happy with the points of the argument, but hopefully I've shown that. Uh, I think I have anyway. Now, it is important to make sure that the Bible agrees with what's going on here, Okay? And we're covering a lot of stuff, but this is a topic night. This is a thinking hard evening. So the question is, does the New Testament see it that way? Now, when we're reading the Bible, we don't want to say the New Testament suddenly has more um, a different understanding to what's going on in the Old. We want to say the Old agrees with what the New Testament's doing. When the New Testament quotes the Old, we want to say the author knows what they're doing. They're not just going, oh, I like this verse. I'm just going to pluck that in here. In fact, when, I've never found a verse where when you look at it in the New Testament, it's not in context of what's going on in the Old Testament either. Uh, if you find one, let me know, and we can see if that theory holds true. But I want to be 100% sure it does. Um, we've seen things from Exodus. We've seen things from the Pentateuch. We've seen things from the rest of the Old Testament. question is, does the rest of the Bible agree? There are lots of passages we could go to. There's not enough time uh, in an hour, in an evening, to go through every single one of them. Perhaps you know of some that you think I'm ignoring here. Uh, feel free to point me that way. But what I think it would be great to do is look at some of these that are manageable at a clip. So you can look really quickly at them and see whether they're making the same points, okay? And I have put some in there that might seem to be disagreeing. So if you feel like your passage is disagreeing with what I've said this evening, feel free to say that's what's going on, okay? But let's have a look at these in groups. So in those people you were with earlier, let's take five minutes just to pick one of these. You can go for any of them you like. Um, someone preached John 14, 5 to 7 over summer, uh, so you might have that in your minds. Other people have read Romans 14 recently, uh, so that might be useful. Um, take one of those, just have a look at what it's saying. Is it talking about the law boiling down to love? Is it talking about the law being a unit, like all together? Is it talking about it being specifically for Israel? Or does it differ with what I've been saying? Feel free to say that as well, because uh, we all want to know what is true. But let's take five minutes uh, to look at some of these. If you don't get through them all, that's fine. Pick the ones that you think are most interesting. Off you go. So, Dave, what am I meant to do then with Exodus chapter 20? We've seen a whole bunch of stuff, haven't we? Uh, depending on how you've heard me, you might think I've said, let's rip this page out of the Bible, let's throw it over here. Or other people have heard me say, oh yeah, this is useful because it points us back to creation. I've deliberately made it so that it's up in the air what you think. The big question, though, applies to application, doesn't it? Application is one of the biggest things we can do in the Bible, with the Bible. 
That's why on March the 1st, we're having that evening on application. What do I, what do you specifically do with Exodus chapter 20? Well, the big thing we need to see that I've been laboring this evening is the 10 words are part of the Mosaic covenant, the covenant that makes Israel as a nation. And that covenant has passed away. Wait a minute, Dave, are you saying let's rip that chapter out of the Bible? No. We need to read Exodus chapter 20 as Christian scripture. It might have been written before Jesus, but it was still written to Christians, still written to believers, okay? Remember, it's not a diary. What did Moses want his readers to do? All the way through the Pentateuch, this is a shortcut for you, Moses is trying to get us to have faith. By faith, Abraham was counted righteous. By faith is how we're meant to do these things. We look at this and we see, well, Israel couldn't keep it, but God promises to save his people, so we have faith. One person who's really helpful in uh, this, I'm hoping Alid might agree with me, um, is a guy called Brian Rosner. Brian Rosner, he's Australian. I can't do a good Australian accent, I'm not Sam. Uh, His book is on the resources below. He says this, he says, the law as Mosaic Covenant, that covenant word, is abolished. The Mosaic Covenant is gone. But the law, including Exodus chapter 20, has ongoing value for Christians. Just think about 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is useful, including Exodus 20. Now that might sound complicated, but what he's basically saying is because Exodus 20 is part of the Bible, it is useful for us today. While saying that Exodus 20 does come part of the covenant with Israel as well. Because as we've seen, Exodus 20 takes us back to Genesis 1 and 2. It shows us what God wants his people to be like. So as we read these chapters, we can learn things that God says are important. And it also shows us that we need to have faith, because we saw Israel couldn't keep this law. They broke the first four as we got to the end of the Pentateuch. And we shouldn't be arrogant, should we? We shouldn't think to ourselves, you know what, I can do it. I'm better than that lot. I didn't see God on a burning bush, uh, in a burning mountain but I can do this. No, we're meant to see that humanity cannot keep God's law. And so it is wisdom. It is for wise living in God's world. That's what biblical wisdom is, how to live wisely in God's world. And it is prophecy. So wisdom, wise ways to live, and prophecy. It points us to God's rescue plan. It points us back to Genesis to point us forward to Jesus. It points us to how God is going to make the world right again, how he's going to get us back in relationship with him. Now, I'm firing quite fast through that because of time, but feel free to ask me more. In fact, you can even pick that book up and have a look at it. We're going to think a bit more, as I said, at a later date about Leviticus and the law, uh, so we don't have to get it all sorted now. Hopefully, this has raised some questions for you. I have two questions just to quickly answer, which I'm going to pull up on my watch. Uh, Where do we get the idea 10 words from? Well, that is the literal translation of what's going on here. We can translate it commandments. I'm just being picky because I don't want to call it commandments. I want to get it from the Bible. Um, so that's just Dave being picky, which everyone here knows that's what I'm like. Um, how do we know about the two copies, one for God, one for, um, one for the people? Generally, we know that from history that's going on at the time. There is no case of uh, two tablets in a covenant being used that way. And also, the Bible seems to suggest that where do you place them? You place them in the Ark of the Covenant. And other things that are in there are meant to remind the people of the agreements. Um, I did have some more verses for that, but it's on my laptop at home, so I can uh, let you know otherwise. It has gone 7 o'clock. 
I did say there'd be time for questions. Hopefully I've answered all the questions that have been sent in, apart from the one that I've spoken to the person and said that will be covered, hopefully, later in 2 Samuel. Uh, but people in the room, you are free to collar me now uh, as we sign off and ask questions. People online, uh, you're free to email, uh, send me a message, any of that. Uh, you know where I am, you know where I work, uh, you know where I live. Um, yeah, so there's that. Uh, but let me close our time with a word of prayer, and then I'm going to quickly show you some resources on the bottom of the sheet to help you think further. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can look at your words this evening. Father, we thank you we can think hard about it. Father, I just pray this evening that anything that's been uh, wrong or unhelpful, uh, we would forget, that we'd be corrected on, and anything that is right doesn't seek to bring uh, glory to how smart we are, but instead glory to how brilliant you are in your plan to rescue. Father, thank you for your word. Help us to continually love you by thinking hard about it and putting it into practice. Amen. Four resources just there on the bottom. Someone said to me, you like books, don't you? And I said, yes, I do. Why? And they said, because you always tell us about books. So I haven't just put books on the resources this time. Um, Don Carson, the great Don, uh, question, keep the Ten Commandments, question mark, yes and no. Hopefully, I've said the same thing as him tonight, actually. There's a YouTube video there, uh, which you can go and watch and see whether you think that's right. Um, ladies group, you've, uh, no, ladies group, training, women's training group. You've been reading Gospel Coalition articles, so I gave you one. Uh, the Law of God by Stephen Willem. Uh, I'm sure you'll be able to have fun with that one. Um, two books, which I found really helpful just thinking through this topic. Paul and the Law um, by Brian Rosner. I'm not going to speak it in Australian. I'm really resisting. Uh, really helpful. Um, slightly high level. Would you say, Alid? <laughs> you can't even remember it. It's that. He, he's one of these guys who says great things, but doesn't put them in the most exciting ways. Sorry, that is how Australian academics are like, what they're like, okay? Not all Australians, Leah, don't we? Um, Americans, though, can put things in really stark terms and sound really exciting. So James M. Tard III, you know he's American when he's the third, don't you? Um, he's written a book called Sinai and the Saints, Reading the Old Covenant Laws for the New Covenant Community. He's really uh, helpful, really useful. Um, these are my copies. Feel free to have a look at them and borrow them if you'd like. Uh, but those are some resources. Uh, hopefully, I'll be able to give you some more as we go. And as we go through our growth group studies, we'll see more of this and can hopefully uh, talk some more about it. But thank you, everybody, for coming this evening. I hope that's been useful. I hope it's not just raised more questions than you have. Well, I hope it has raised more questions before, but I'm hoping you're going back with a bit of clarity in some senses. Thank you. <laughs>